Good morning, everybody here in the room. Good morning to those of you who are online, wherever you may be. I hope you are all enjoying this beautiful sunny day that the Lord has given to us here in Saskatoon. Uh, my name is Kevin. I serve here as the Attridge site pastor. And uh, this morning we are going to look at uh, the last part of Matthew chapter 18. Uh, so you can open up your Bibles or your apps or whatever and, uh, and turn there. Last week, uh, Susan Wendell spoke on the, the first part of Matthew 18, specifically the parable of the wandering sheep. And her suggestion, along with most of the commentators that, that talk about this, this chapter, would say that this is a section about community life, life in the body of, of Christ, life in the church. And she talked about the little ones, their disciples, the, the children of God, and then that led into a parable where the sheep wanders off and the shepherd goes and finds it. And then she continued on with the text and talked about Jesus' instructions for dealing with sin or with stumbling in the church. You go and confront the person. Hopefully they listen. If they don't, you take someone with you. If they still don't listen, you bring the matters in front of the church. So I think this uh, is a, a timely topic for us of, as community life is, is always a challenge for us. But I think that many feel a few extra challenges uh, these days. The passage today continues in Matthew 18 and is for, it is about uh, servants of the king. It is for followers of Jesus and how we treat one another and the punchline there today being we treat one another with mercy. So let's think about community life. And before I get into the passage, I'd like to ask you two questions, and I'm asking you two questions for two reasons. The first reason is uh, to get you thinking about application, sermon application in your own life and how you can, can apply com to community life. The second reason is because Spencer, our communications director, is going to be interviewing people outside, uh, those of you that are here, uh, interviewing people after the service, because we are making a video that we will show you in fall uh, about regathering in community and how this all relates to our discipleship. So the questions that we're going to ask you, and if you'd like to participate after, you can be thinking through your response for video, but you can also just apply it to your own life, are this. Describe the best community, group, or team that you have ever been a part of. What makes a great community? Describe it. So maybe it's a, an accomplishment of a task. You know, maybe you were on a team that won the Stanley Cup, and that was a really good accomplishment, and that was a, a great uh, community that you were a part of. Maybe it's one that uh, has provided you a sense of security. You always felt safe in that community, whatever it may be. The second question is, how is community created? Describe what you would do to create an amazing community. What would you do? What's your part in that? Building trust, um, accomplishing a, a common demanding task that you would rally people around, whatever it may be, okay? So you can be thinking about those as, uh, as this message proceeds. Uh, today, the point isn't necessarily to specifically talk about community. That's more of the application. Our, our series right now is on kingdom parables, and we're going to learn about the, we've been learning about the parables uh, of Jesus throughout the book of Matthew. 
And this will wrap up our Matthew series. We've been in the book of Matthew for, for most of this year and uh, looking at various different directions. Next week, Phil Gunther, our Saskatchewan MB director, will be here and he will uh, provide us a, another message here as well. So it'll kind of wrap up the whole Matthew, Matthew uh, series. When Don started the, the Kingdom Parables series, he talked about parables creating a mystery, exposing hearts, and acting as a mirror in our lives. And as I have studied this passage, it certainly has done all three for me. It has created mystery, it has exposed hearts in others as well as myself, and it's really acted as a mirror to point out a few things in my life, and I hope and I pray that the same would be true for you today. So, Matthew chapter 18, uh, verses 21 to 35, here's the word of the Lord. When Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who, forgives, who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me. I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancel all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, the master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he, could, until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. I, I like to think that the Spirit of God speaks to us through His Word, not just, not just into our ears, but also into our hearts. So for some of you, maybe hearing this might be enough. Uh, the Spirit of God has revealed His truth to you, and, and that is great. However, uh, like some of the disciples uh, of Jesus, there's others of us that need a little bit more deeper explanation before we truly understand or embrace this parable. I would like to suggest that you don't overthink this parable. Let the word of the Lord speak to you. Parables go in lots of different directions. It's a story that Jesus uses to explain. However, we know that sometimes there's a few contextual uh, explanatory notes that are helpful. So I'll look at some of the numbers and I'll help you kind of maybe move ahead a little bit uh, just by understanding some of the numbers in here. So the first one is 
What's behind Peter's asking about seven times? So, from what I've seen, uh, the rabbinic law of the day, the teachers of uh, the Judaic teachers of the day, stated that you should forgive someone that offends you three times. That was that was where where you 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 should land on forgiveness. So, if someone offends you and uh, and says they're sorry, you forgive them. And then, if they offend you, and in the same way, so let's say they're they're lying to you, and and they've lied to you, and now they've lied to you again. You, you forgive them. And then they lie, they offend you a third time, and you are to forgive them. So it, it's pretty gracious to forgive someone three times in that context where they were coming out. The Old Testament law was, it, there was this, this phrase, the lex talionis, which was the eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, was, was the, the Old Testament law. And it wasn't like, well, you gouged out my eye, so I get to gouge out yours. It was more that you gouged out my eye. I'm not, I'm not allowed to gouge out two of yours. You chopped off my hand. I can't chop off your arm. So it was, it was to restrict vengeance. It was to restrict the lim- to, to provide limits for how much retribution you could, you could get on someone to doing something to you. It wasn't that you obviously get that from someone, but you can't go beyond that. So it was meant to stop that extra violence. So in, in, if someone has lied a fourth time, you know, it, it's like, well, uh, sorry, like there's a pattern there, and this is where the person hasn't learned their lesson, it hasn't changed, so you don't need to forgive them, you can, you can seek other forms of justice. But it was still pretty gracious compared to kind of the standing cultural way of seeking justice, of you know what? Just this is what you can go up to. No, first you forgive. Second you forgive. Third you forgive. And then you go and do some of the other things. So for Peter, it shows that he's been, been learning from his rabbi here. That his rabbi, Jesus, to, to him, mercy is important. And so Peter's thinking, this is my interpretation here, Peter's thinking and he goes, okay, I'm going I'm to impress Jesus here. I'm going to go double what even the teachers are saying, because Jesus really likes mercy. Seven times. I'm going to go over double. Biblically, seven is, is a number of completeness. We see that in, in seven days of creation. And so I was expecting commentators to pick up on this all over the place, and I really didn't see it. Maybe you see it in some of your studies. Uh, I didn't see it. I thought there was going to be this thing, an explanation of why he asked for seven. Maybe you'll find it in your own. You can find lots of things on the internet, but... From the credible <laughs> sources I looked at, I couldn't see something specifically as to what, what's so significant about the number seven, other than it's, it's far more than what was expected, even by the most gracious of, of teachers of the day. And as we've seen throughout Scripture in Matthew, uh, <laughs> not, Jesus doesn't say he's wrong. It's just like, well, no, it, it's 77 times. Like, kind of just blows it out of the water. In the translations, you'll, you'll see people say, no, it's 70 times 7. So not 7, not 77, 490 times. Like, basically, Jesus is saying, endless. It's endless forgiveness, which is then gone on and illustrated in the parable. So in the parable, there's some more numbers here that, that are helpful here to understand this. So 
the debt of, of 10,000 gold bags, and if you have an NIV study Bible in the little notes below, it'll, it'll point out that, that uh, uh, bags of gold is a talent. A talent uh, is about 20 years of wages, one talent. So 10,000 talents, 10,000 20 years of wages, 200,000 years of wages, 10,000, like the biggest number that they had back then. Kids might say, uh, like a gazillion, billion, trillion times money. Like, just like this endless, biggest number that you can possibly think of. Whereas the hundred silver coins, silver coins being a denarii, a denarii is a day's wage. So a hundred days wage, three months wage. So still a significant amount, but over time could end up being repaid. So on the surface, uh, lesson I took from this uh, was that God has given me so much. This is a generous king that gave much to his servant. I cannot repay him. I am dependent on the king's mercy. He has freed me from my debt, which I believe was the debt that was paid for by Jesus on the cross for me. He gave his life in place of mine because of the massive, unfathomable grace that I have been given, this gazillion, billion, trillion times grace, I should extend that grace, that mercy, to everyone that I meet. If I'm offended by someone, I should show mercy, forgive them in my heart. In my simple-mindedness, it's a pretty easy parable to understand. Sounds about right. The challenge here, I don't think, is for us to go, oh, well, that's what that parable means. Maybe you have some different interpretations. But I think we kind of land pretty close there. The, the challenge here on this one is to apply it. If you're like me, you may already have in mind some people, some situations where you did not act with mercy towards someone who has offended you. I happen to know that that is true from many of you this year, or two. It has, the last couple of years have caused an amazing amount of offense, hurt, disunity over theological issues, over government regulations, over personal preferences, over financial obligations, over leadership decisions, and in some cases, just downright sinful choices. Offense has happened. And the question becomes, can you show mercy? Can you forgive? Can you extend this grace to others? Uh, if, if you're a person who's new to church, to faith, you're, you're wondering who God is, I think there's, there's value in painting a bit of a mental picture here from this, from this passage. And just, so just picture with me all of the things that you've done that don't align with God's ways, those things that you know aren't in line with God's ways. So you, you've lied, you've cheated, you've, you've been bitter. But then add on to those also the things that you, you're not, you don't really even know that aren't really God's ways. Like we're, okay, so one of the things that's part of God's ways is, is taking a day of rest every week. In the Old Testament, it was called the Sabbath. And so you haven't taken a day of rest in a while. Well, that's not part of God's ways. So let's add that to the pile. 
there's this other thing called honoring your father and mother. Yeah, that one's in there. It, it's, it's number five on the list of Big Ten. Honor your father and mother. Well, okay, well, so how, like, add that to the pile. And I don't know how big you picture your pile of not following God's ways. But as you get to know God, the holiness of God, the perfection of God increases it pretty quickly. If you don't see God as really that holy, it doesn't really matter, then you can end up with a little small pile, whatever it might be. But as you see the holiness of God, that pile grows really quickly of, wow, I am so off the mark from what God has done. So then with this mental picture, that's, that's your pile. But now let's, let's add all the piles of the people in the room, all the people watching it online. Let's add all of our piles together. All these things, all this hurt, all this pain, all these times where we've missed the mark of God's perfection, a massive pile, a gazillion, billion, trillion offenses. Verse 27 uh, sums this one up nicely. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. He was free. There is freedom that is found as we kneel before the great king. Jesus. This is the work that Jesus did on the cross. By the, by the cross and the Jesus' resurrection, 1 John chapter 2 says this, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the holy one, the perfect one. He is the atoning, the, the one who makes it one, makes, puts things back together is what atoning means, uh, wrong things made right uh, at one, brings a broken thing, puts it back together. Sacrifice, he's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. John 3.16, a more commonly known verse, uh, becoming less and less common, and we want to bring that, this verse back. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. See, I find it interesting in this, in this parable that the servant would suggest that they could pay back the debt that they owed. I, I think it's normal behavior. I'll make up for it. I'll, I'll you know, sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll make up for it. I'll, I'll, I'll put in the work. I'll, I'll do something. Maybe I've watched too many gangster mafia movies or something like that, and it's like, yeah, no, 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 sorry. You know, before a guy gets slaughtered or something by the mafia, he owes money to or whatever. Like, no, 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 I'll, I'll make it up. I'll pay, you, I'll pay you back. I'll get the money, I'll, whatever it is. Uh, we have this in, uh, I'll, I'll do my own part to make up for it. And the king sees the servant on his knees and acknowledges his, his debt, his sin. And, and that's enough to just simply invoke the king's mercy. And he cancels the debt and the servant goes free. It's an immeasurable amount of mercy. That's the starting point for a relationship with Jesus. Acknowledging our sin and asking for his mercy. And from the recognition of Jesus' forgiveness for us, that those who acknowledge that Jesus has freed us from this massive debt, we are to go and extend that same mercy, that same forgiveness, that same freedom to others. Like I said at the beginning, this is a passage about community life. 
It's about getting along with one another, which is true. But unless we acknowledge our dependence on the merciful King, Jesus Christ, and the grace that he has given us, we will not be able to endlessly forgive others. Maybe we can once. We can forgive once. Maybe we can even three times. And maybe we even can seven times forgive. But Jesus is talking about eternal, unlimited mercy. Seventy times seven. A gazillion billion times forgiveness is only found in Jesus Christ. Public service announcement. Little pause here just to extend a caution. If you are repeatedly physically uh, abused, emotionally, sexually, spiritually, this does not need, mean that you need to stay in that cycle. You need to leave and get help. The cycle of abuse grieves the heart of God and it is the church's role to help you and the person who also is hurting you. And so please tell someone, seek help on this one. It is not, we seek endless mercy and forgiveness, but there needs to be a stop in that abusive cycle. Back to the message. I want to conclude kind of our series on, and a, uh, on Matthew, but we've talked about the kingdom as well with uh, a note about from this passage. And specifically uh, why there is power in forgiveness, in mercy. There's belief systems that would suggest that holding power over people uh, by not forgiving, by not being merciful, that that would indicate strength. And this is true from a a worldly perspective, although I would say that that pop culture is catching up. If you read some more of the psychology, pop psychology books nowadays of like, yeah, no, servanthood and and forgiveness, there's power in that, and, and, and that's good, they're catching up. It's just that Christianity's been there Jesus has been there 2,000 years, and, and it's good that their, their books are catching up with us. Um, but the, the psychologists, they talk about forgiveness, and, and yet their understanding is, is not enough if it doesn't include Jesus. So let me explain this. Chapter 18 starts with what seems to be this question out of nowhere. If you go back into, into chapter, the beginning of chapter 18, uh, at that time the disciples came to ask Jesus, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, at the end of chapter 17, there's a, a little story about paying temple tax. And that's the transition. It, it's this awkward, weird transition that doesn't seem to make any sense. And so you have to actually go back to chapter 16 and chapter 17, and that's where we see Jesus predicting his death coming. So twice he talks about being tortured or suffering or denying his life or not being listened to, rejected and shamed. And the context, again, is, is a, a culture of honor, uh, first century culture, uh, honoring uh, people, uh, uh, suffering, dying, uh, that doesn't sound like being the greatest. Kind of similar to today where the greatest celebrities or business leaders or, or political leaders, you know, the cool kids in school, they're shown honor, they're, they're listened to, they're, they're exalted, they're praised, they're celebrated. And honor was even more pervasive uh, back then. And it is, it is still today in other parts of the, of the world, just not really here. The king of the kingdom is, is honored above everything. Fathers, leaders, teachers, whoever it may have been. 
And so the disciples here, by asking this question, show that they've been paying attention. If you go back two chapters, this is where Peter confesses Christ, that you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, you are the Son of the living God. And Peter recognizes Jesus as the King. But then you still see this, this confusion in the disciples of, okay, so if you're the King, how can the King be dishonored? Like, you're talking about suffering, dying, like, you're the king, but kings don't suffer. Kings don't die. They, they don't be dishonored. And so the disciples come out with it, and they go, okay, like, just explain this to us. Help us. You're going to suffer. You're going to be dishonored. So, like, then who is the greatest? Who gets the honor? Who gets the privilege? Who gets the glory? And Jesus takes a child, someone within those days, no rights, different than kids today, no rights in that society, lowest of the low. And says, to order in, in order to enter into his kingdom, you must become like a child. You must give up your rights. Whoever takes the lowly position of this child, whoever gives up their rights, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child, someone who, whoever welcomes someone who has no rights in my name, welcomes me. See, we can't miss the obvious here, the obvious answer. The disciples' question has a very clear answer. Who is the greatest in any kingdom? It is the king. That's the answer. Jesus could have easily said, come on, guys, smarten up, it's me. But instead, he flips the whole kingdom on his head. The top goes to the bottom. The power position goes to the bottom. And the, the low position, the weak, the vulnerable, that comes to the top. Those who take the lowly position, those who give up their rights, those who sacrifice for others, those who show mercy to those, towards those who offend them, they are the greatest. The weak become strong. We all know that our world celebrates uh, fame and power and it often comes at the hands of the weak and the vulnerable. But those who simply fall on their knees and beg, those who give up their power, those who give up their rights, those who give up their wealth, those who, they, they will be shown mercy. And then out of that mercy, they are expected to extend that same mercy to others. Jesus shows us a gazillion, billion times mercy, endless mercy, so that we can continue to show that 70 times 7 that continued endless mercy to those around us. And other parables uh, will show us that the king, the master, doesn't just leave us with nothing. He gives us gifts. He gives us talents that we can use to go and show mercy to others. It's not that we're left with nothing. It's that everything that we have is now to be used by, for God's glory to go and lift up the rights, to go and show mercy to others. We're going to enter into a time of confusion. confusion. We're going to enter into a time of uh, communion. Man, you know you didn't do a good job when you end with confusion. <laughs> As part of our uh, community life, Bruce is going to lead us uh, in this time. Bruce, come on up here. Uh, I'll just simply pray. Uh, Jesus, we thank you for you being uh, the center of our faith. We thank you that you are the one who shows us mercy.
continue to speak into our hearts, into our minds, into our community uh, about how we can go and extend that mercy to others. Thank you for your cross. Thank you for your resurrection. Thank you for your forgiveness, Jesus, in your name. Amen.